Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank for another edition of the podcast. Uh, my name is Lewis and joining me to discuss what was ultimately a bit of a, a disappointing Saturday afternoon with the Sharks going down 27 points to 5 to Toulouse and my co-hosts Alex and James. Uh, Alex, uh, how are you? I'm okay, thanks mate. I'm a bit disappointed for the lads and um, disappointed with the result, but to be honest, went in not expecting anything, came out with nothing, so can't can't be too downhearted. But yeah, um, after the first uh, ten minutes, I was feeling pretty good uh, of this game, and then it's um, yeah, just a massive massive shame, really. But you know, all all is good, and there's still a chance to uh, rectify it next week over in Belfast. So yeah, all good. How are you? Yeah, good. You know, a wee bit flat, I think after. Uh, after Saturday, I think the, the 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 result itself is fine in a vacuum. I think the the way in which it, it kind of transpired for Sale is the most disappointing thing, and we'll talk about that a little bit about you know maybe, maybe what was left of the occasion um, um, that didn't necessarily come to pass. But we've got loads to talk about this week, and and I'm pleased to say after a couple of weeks off, James is back. James, how are you going? Oh. All right, mate. Really pleased to be back. Um, shame, obviously, not on the back of a win. But in any case, lots of sale news to discuss. Uh, all is not lost. Um, don't think it's going to be a, a negative uh, podcast. So, yeah, look forward to getting in, talking about the game, talking about some of the sales news as well. Well, we, we have to start with some of the news that you've alluded to there uh, before we talk about that to lose game because, A, not necessarily big surprise, but a surprise nonetheless broke on uh, on Thursday, I believe it was, with the news that uh, sale defence coach Mike Forshaw will be leaving the club in the uh, immediate future to link up with Wales as uh, Warren Gatlin's new uh, defence coach as part of the national team set up there. So, James, obviously, you've probably got a couple of weeks worth, so weeks worth of... Uh, chat to get through. Well, I'll let you start. I mean, um, just just in a vacuum, kind of, uh, what was your reaction to, to this news that Forshaw will be leaving sale after after a decade now of, uh, of service? Uh, I, you know, as you said, it was not, not a surprise at all, but still a bit of a shock because it's middle of the season. You know, you know it's going to have an impact on the team. You know, you've seen the battles that Leicester are having, trying to adjust to losing you know, two big personalities from their coaching setup. Uh, and, you know, the fact is, and I, I honestly believe this, is that Mike Forshaw has been the best defence coach in England for, for quite some time. If not for the whole 10 years that he's been at the club, then probably for seven or eight. Um, and I think arguably, arguably, I mean, Steve Diamond had a lot of brilliant signings for sale, but arguably Mike Forshaw has been the most important. Why? Because when we were at low budget, um, especially, you know, not conceding tries and having your defensive structure sorted definitely kept us in the top of, in the top division. Uh, you know, it hundred percent, and you know, it's the consistency of it that 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 that, that strikes me. Um, you know, it's the it's the overperformance of the defense versus the general performance of the team. That's definitely been a fact. So I am very surprised that England haven't come in for Mike Forshaw, you know, before. I mean, in, in the years previous, not just in this Eddie Jones turnover. Um, you know, if you're looking to go with the best defence coach in England in the Premiership, then Mike Forshaw is at the top top of that, of that really. Um, so, you know, in, in this regard, you know, he's got a good job, you know, local to where, localish to where he lives. Um, he knows the setup. You know, everyone knows who he is. I think where he's at in his career, if you get a phone call from Warren Gatland, you go, don't you? <laughs> Basically, you know, you just, uh, in terms of those kind of top level coaches in the world, Warren Gatland is in those sort of top five. He's got all of the experience. He's been on line tours. He's got Wales performing well above their, you know, their, their means and their talent for many, many years. Um, and you, you've seen, I suppose, what Sean Edwards did with Wales as well, who Mike Forshaw will know very well. 
And I think that the, 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 it's all there for him, really, to go and do international rugby now. And so, not not not, not a surprise at all. Surprised that it hasn't happened earlier. Still a shock that it's happened mid-season. But my my overriding thing was, thank you, Mike Forshaw, and all the very best with Wales, except when you play in England. It's, I mean, at least from from our perspective as sales fans, it's a it's a very shrewd appointment by by Warren Gatland because you look at what Forshaw has brought to the club in the last ten years, and and especially what he did. When he first joined, you know the the, the rugby league style defence of, of the flat line and and high tempo and and um, high high speed off the game line is is quite commonplace now. But in 2013, when he first became part of the coaching staff, that that wasn't necessarily the case. And I think the really interesting thing, and which is probably a testament to, to how good of a defensive coach you've got in Cal that he is, is. Throughout the, the 10 years or so that Sale have had him leading that part of the game plan, we've consistently been the best team or one of the best teams in that position, which is my way of saying that a big part of that 10 years ago was because Forshaw and a few others were bringing in these brand new ideas about how to defend and how a team should defend collectively. But actually, as the years gone on, those, those um, tactics have been adopted kind of universally we are making minor adjustments every year and and, and building year on year to the point where whilst everyone is now doing this we're still a couple of steps ahead of everyone else I think I'm very interested to see what he does with Wales with different caliber of players different types of players as well um and kind of see what the impact he has there because you can see now in 2022 2023 there are so many very talented young players at the squad who are also pretty adept defensively already as at 19, 20, 21, because the, the structure and the foundations that Forshaw has been able to put in place over the last year, 10 years are now translating to our academy products. And it's why players like Tom Roebuck and, and Aaron Reed, for example, pretty solid defenders. You don't need to be you know, the best uh, defensive players in the world to be effective at their positions, but you don't see individual errors coming from young players in the squad. You don't see individual errors as a team sort of um, full stop. And it'd be really interesting to see what he does when he goes to Wales, where it's less about kind of mentoring young players and bringing them up in an established structure. It's how can you turn some of the best players in the world already into even better players in that test arena. So, you know, from, from my perspective, I agree with you, James, like, you you know, you you shake, shake his hand, say thank you for your service and for Forshaw, he now gets to test himself in a in a very different situation with Wales. Um, Alex, you know, just just quickly, then, what you know, what, what were your thoughts on on, on the news um, about Mike Forshaw leaving the club? Yeah, it's obviously really disappointing as a Sale fan, isn't it, um, to to lose someone of that quality? But I think that speaks to kind of the character of the man and and the ability and, and what he's brought to the club. Um, and I think that you've just got to be really happy for him because it is fully deserved. And it's, as James said, such a great opportunity to go and work with one of the best coaches in the world. Um, a really exciting time. You know, there's not a lot of pressure on on being Wales coach right now compared to what they normally would, I think. It's it's almost a bit of a blank slate and, and the, the expectation bar has been lowered to such a, an extent. Obviously, there's a bit of pressure with Gatlin there to sort of restore the former glories. But I think people are realistic about the capability of that Wales team. And it's a bit similar to coming in to sail 10 years ago for him. Um, You know, he's going into a team that is on a budget in effect. You know, they've got some really good players, but they are one of the, one of the international teams who have struggled the most with, with player depth and squad depth and all that kind of thing. So I think it's a really good challenge for him and a really exciting opportunity. And, you know, I was saying yesterday at the game, you realise you forget that he's been here for ten years, and and that is a hell of a long time for anyone to to work at one place. Um, so I think we've had a really really good ten years of service from him. He's been outstanding, and we all knew we were lucky to have him, and we all sort of secretly thought he is going to go one day because he is that good, and and that's kind of the reality of of the world we live in. So. It's hard to, you know, there's absolutely no ill feeling. It's very disappointing in a, you know, you were so good and we're sad to lose you. But 
as you both said, I think you you wish him the absolute best and it's fully, fully deserved. And you just have to thank him for 10 great years. And, you know, uh, you look back and if, if we were a Quinns level club, I tell you what, he wouldn't have been here 10 years. He'd have been snapped up three, four years after performing that well at that level. It's sort of, um, you know, the the Northern Outcast thing that we always um, rail against has, has played in our favour, I think, in this scenario because people just... We've gone under the radar, radar and the quality of Mike Porsche has massively been underappreciated. So be interesting to see how we go without him. I think that's the, the next big question in my mind. Who who do we get in, if anyone? Obviously, Axe is a defence coach by nature. Um, can probably cover it in the short term. Um, but I think we will we'll miss him massively, not just for his defensive ability, but clearly really popular with the lads, really good for the club. Um Obviously, he was doing the interview last week. Don't know whether that was a bit of a nod to the fact that he might be going after the game. Um, so, yeah, it's he's he's achieved some really great things with Sale, I think, and um, hopefully he can go on to achieve them with Wales, as James says, other than against England. But I do think if if Warren Gatland rang me up and said, "Do you want to come and work for Wales? We've got ten months to go to a World Cup. We've got no expectations, and we're just going to have a good run at it." Then you're really hard pressed to say no to that aren't you it's a massively exciting opportunity so absolute best of luck to him it's i mean it's a good point as well about not necessarily being snapped up you know you look at the fact that kevin sinfield has gone to become the defense coach for england and there are a lot of similarities obviously between Forshaw and sinfield you can make the argument that Forshaw is a better coach or they're at least par but the reason why sinfield is going to england is because his his former slash current boss Steve Borthwick is going there as well so there is a little bit of that as well if Diamond had gone to you know coach internationally he probably would have taken four short with him so it's we've been quite lucky um I think that the circumstances haven't uh presented an opportunity for him to leave before now but I think actually I'm really glad you mentioned that Alex because let's just very quickly talk about what would you do if you're if you're Alex Anderson if you're the kind of you know the the decision making brass at sale um what do you do about replacing Forshaw? Do you think we we you know ask Axe to assume those responsibilities for the rest of the season and then hire another defense coach, or you know how would you, how would you play it, Alex? I guess is uh, is my first question. I think you start looking now. I think you leave Axe to do what he's learning to do because there's a, a risk that sort of you know going back into that defense coach role distracts from he's he's still learning as a DOR, isn't he? And and I think. You know, adding another responsibility to that, you need people around you to to support you. So, I think I would like to think the search is is underway, and you know we're looking at who is out there. There's we were trying to think of names yesterday and coming up with them, and, and couldn't really get to too many places. Nick Easter, I think, is still available after um, going from Worcester, um, but there's not sure where Paul Gustard is these days can't remember if he's gone to Italy or somewhere like that he's under a long contract I think he was first choice for Gatland from what I've read Uh, but they obviously the Welsh Rugby Union spent all their money uh, on wasting it and on Warren Gatland so um, don't think they had enough left for Paul Gustard (laughs) yeah I might be Um, doing a disservice by the way to Mike for sure he might might have been first choice but that's what I read and so, yeah, I think it's it's get out there and, and start looking for someone else. But that's I think that's partly on. We've got a really good structure at the club now. You know, you've got Sid Sutton running it as CEO, who is doing some really good things sort of off the field, and and it's creating that culture where okay, we understand that people move on, and and it's it's a price of success, isn't it? And that's what Saracens did really well. You know, Saracen's replaced a lot of coaches. Paul Gustard, Steve Borthwick, Alex Sanderson. Uh, all of these people who've left Saris, gone on to do other things, Andy Farrell, and the Saris machine just kept turning, kept turning. So, um, I don't know. I, I One name that was mentioned was John O'Ross, who is obviously coming to the end of his career and um, could be stepping into a, a different role, which I thought was a very left-field suggestion, but... Just an interesting one for the future because that's the sort of thing Saris do, isn't it? They take a player who is good at something and turn them into a coach of it, which is where all their good coaches come from. But I, I, I would think we were out in the market looking for someone else. I don't know who's available. That's the thing. But I wouldn't like to see it given to Axe. I think it's too much 
additional responsibility when he's got other stuff to focus on. You want to talk about left field suggestions. The, the name that came to my mind when I started thinking about it was um, Johnny Leota, who I believe is still involved with the uh, academy side or one of the development sides for, for under-18s, for example. Um, I don't know. Just, you know, that that was kind of his calling card, wasn't it? With the, the Bash brothers with Sam, um, with, uh, with Sammy T. Um yeah, I don't know. Like you said, it, it would be really nice, and I think it would be a really good example of what we're trying to build if you did have someone who kind of came through the ranks within the coaching staff and got promoted. But at the same time, like if you've got a really good candidate from rugby league or if you've got a really good candidate from you know New Zealand rugby or, or English rugby, it doesn't really matter. As long as you're getting the best candidate, and that's that's the main thing. Um, James, before we move on to the Toulouse game, what, what would you do uh, about the defence coach? And have you got any former sale players that, that you think could do the job? Uh, by the way, I think John Ross would be an excellent defence coach. And I think his leadership um, abilities in the coaching arena are something that we should consider keeping within the club. That said, I, I think it's on record that he's always wanted to go home at the end of his playing career, back to South Africa. And also, he, I think he's got a couple more years left in him. I think he's somebody who will want to play for as long as he can because he loves the game. And we'll get on to the Toulouse game. But, you know, he still will bash into brick walls, won't he, until the 80th minute um, in a losing course. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so I don't think, Jono, I think they should start looking. I agree with Alex, but I don't think they should risk bringing somebody in just because they're available. So I think, they need, you know, Alex needs to be absolutely certain. And if there was internal promotion, whether someone like Warren Sprague wants to take on a different brief, you know, something like that, you know, they've spent quite a lot of time and energy building the network of coaches in Northwest Rugby. And I think if it's possible, they will do it. Um, but again, you know, Alex Sanderson will have to be super confident about it. And in the meantime, his defence background, I think, will get us through. But we'll have to wait and see. You know, it's not just the defence coaching that we're losing. We're losing a personality around the club, you know, a comfort of the known. Um, and so any tweak and change to it, can make it unravel, especially in defence. Um, you know, the Leicester defence has gone absolutely to, to like, it's gone really quickly. Um, you know, I, don't get me wrong, I think Richard Wigglesworth, by the way, all of these Leicester Tigers fans going, oh my God, we're going to have another Murphy situation. Well, actually, no, because Wigglesworth's rugby brain is in a different level uh, to Murphy's. Um, but whether he's a director of rugby straight out of playing that's a different type of question right but one thing that has been affected for sure has been their defense so a bit nervous about it i'm a bit nervous about it. it has to be said uh when so many other things are looking good for us we're in a good place in the league but that hopefully gives us a little bit of buffer just to find a new rhythm a new way of doing things alex anderson to prioritize prioritizes time in a slightly different way Maybe someone else needs to be taking a bit more of a lead on recruitment for next year. Maybe Alex Anderson has to play, spend a little bit less time with academy players or, you know, Dorian West has to just do more of a shift on the general pack stuff. You know, so, and also one less voice around the selection table as well. And that'll be interesting as well. So, yeah, all the best to him. Um, let's see if we can find somebody who's out there um, who's, who's available. And if we, but if we have to wait till the off-season then I'd prefer to do that. So, obviously, Mike Forshaw hasn't left the club with immediate effect. He was uh, part of the coaching team on Saturday and uh, will be part of the coaching team for sales game against Ulster uh, next weekend as well before joining up with Wales. However, uh, unfortunately, Mike Forshaw, as good as he's been for the last 10 years, wasn't enough to help see Sale uh, pick up a, uh, a win over Toulouse, having gone down 27 points to five, as we mentioned earlier on Saturday afternoon. And I mean, I'll, I'll just I'll run through some of the kind of key events, you know, very briefly. Six seconds in, Simon McIntyre and Nick Shoddock knock each other out um, and, and have to be replaced. Um, Comis Visa is red carded uh, midway through the first half. Uh, and Sale actually did take a, take a lead to an Aka van der Merwe trying that in, in the first half to go five, nil, uh, five points to nil up, I believe, um, until a, a pretty sort of torrid second half 
uh, from uh, from Toulouse, sort of pull away uh, and ultimately uh, win the game relatively easily. Now, when you factor in, say, we're playing with 14 men for the majority of the game, it isn't necessarily a surprise that, that they weren't... Uh, uh, they, they weren't the victors on Saturday afternoon. But, um, James, I guess from, from your perspective, um, what do we make of this game? Because for the first sort of 20, 30 minutes, Sell gave it a really good go against this Toulouse side. But when you're playing without a man for, for such a long period, it's almost kind of ruined this game as, as being a, a measuring stick for how well this team has progressed. Because it, to me, at least, it just feels like with all the context around what happened on the field on the day, we we, we didn't realistically learn that much about Sale uh, on the, on Saturday afternoon. Do you agree with that? Or yeah, I wouldn't be spending too much time back in the back part looking at screens and doing too much analysis on Monday. I'd just be mined straight on towards to I won't be worrying too much about the Toulouse game. He's got to ju- these things happen every now and again. You know, we've just had a a couple of things which can kill games happen in one game. So hopefully it's not getting spread out for the rest of the season. You know, you lose one prop in the first minute and you know you were going to be under the pump, right, to, to, to win any game professional rugby these days. <clears throat> and uh, to lose both. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it was sort of felt game over then. Um, in the back of your mind, you were thinking, well, come 60 minutes, I mean, James Harper's going to be breathing out of his arse, isn't he? It's a bit different than rocking out at, at Hayward Road uh, for the majority of the season. Uh, uh, one thing, I, two things I took away from the game. Number one, um, the desire of this team playing for each other, um, the desire to put on a competitive performance despite all that happening so early in the game for a large crowd was there. They appreciated the fact that people were turning out to come and watch. And um, they, they, they didn't let that doubt in the back of their mind sort of get in the way, really. They, it was blood, sweat and tears from the boys, especially for the first 60 minutes, and they probably just run out of gas. And then, you know, understandably, the consciousness of what's actually happening here sort of take over. You're playing the best team in Europe. You've got props that are kind of breathe out their arse, you've got uh, 14 men, it was never going to be a comeback. So that was always going to set in at some point. It was about how long could Sale keep the pressure on Toulouse. And I thought, especially for that first 50 minutes, we did that. And do you know what? Dupont, best scrum half in the world, possibly ever, but certainly now. And uh, I've never seen him rattled, ever. I've never seen him rattled under pressure. He gets better. Um, he dominates games even more. He, he's crystal clear thinking. Um, I tell you, Gus War is the first time I've seen anybody get under Dupont's skin. He fucking hated him. Absolutely. Sorry for my language, family podcast listeners. Um, but it was quite funny, really. Uh, Gus War just, uh, Dupont just couldn't, he was already thinking about getting to Manchester Airport. I just want to get home. This guy is annoying. Who is he? Who is this guy with the awful hair? who's kind of like just constantly at me. Um, and there was one moment, I think is in, in all of our minds, which was that Dupont pick up off the base, which he does so often, brilliant acceleration, pause uh, to, to hold a defender and then go again, run at the inside shoulder of the outside back on the short side, slip it to whoever's on the wing for Toulouse, slippery bomb, score in the corner. We've all seen it before. Thank you very much, Dupont. You're amazing. Gus War managed to just tackle his ankles and Dupont went down like a sack of poo and uh, spilled the ball into touch and then Gus Ward just straight back with his feet and just clapped right in his face. I just thought that, that you know, there's an arrogance to that which it, if it was anybody else, if it's just, you know, anybody else doing it to our team, we would hate him. Absolutely hate him. And so I loved it because I've never seen the best player in the world seeing the best scrum in the world uh, be under the pressure he was. And do you know what? The, the rest of the Toulouse team were seeing this and were making mistakes as well. They were making loads of mistakes. Um, lots of knock-ons, you know, lots of overrun, you know, simple things that I was noticing, like overrunning the ball, lots of indecision about who to give the ball to, you know, and, um, you know, I thought, well, you know what? If we weren't down to 14 men here and I'd lost, lost the props, you know, I, I think it would have been a different game, potentially, certainly a lot closer because... 
they, they were a bit shell-shocked to lose. And that's the first time I've seen us do that to a French side. We're such a big French side, such a brilliant French side. I think we've struggled in recent seasons against the, 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 the physicality that they that they bring. Um, so I, 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 I liked Gus Wall's performance. I liked the team's performance. I think it's a good effort, lads. Get yourself on the physio tables. Go and have your HIA assessments. Let's just not look at any replays of virtually anything. Thank you for your efforts. And we'll buy tickets to the next the next home game. See you there. That's my view. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, talking about Toulouse being rattled, there's, there's a, the moment that sticks in my mind is they, they, they break down the short side. Um, I think it's in the second half. Uh, sorry, no, it's in the first half. Um, and they've got a three-on-one. Um, and it's the simplest thing in the world. You know, you, you, you pass it to, to the man. Uh, on the outside, on the wing, and it's a you know it's an easy run in. Instead, the decision goes to, to pass it inside, where Sale are actually covered back, you know, fantastically, and are able to make a tap tackle. Um, and then, even even with uh, with broken play and Toulouse retaining possession of the ball, they go through a few more phases. All our players get back into the defensive line and shape, and and we ultimately force a turnover a couple of phases later. And it's gone from a you know. A, Five pointer at least, probably a seven pointer to to a turnover, um, um, a, a turnover for sale, and we we clear pressure. It's just little things like that all day. Which, like you said, when you've got players like Dupont and Untermac and and uh, this, this kind of global cadre of of stars, um, it's very rare to see them make mistakes like that. And I think we we just did a fantastic job, like you said, of 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 being abrasive and, and being uh, a nuisance, which is kind of all you can do when you when you. Playing, uh, playing down a man for such a long period of time. Um, Alex, obviously you were at the stadium and I know we were talking off air very briefly before we started about the kind of atmosphere. And I guess I just want to get your sense from it, from someone who was in the stadium. You know, what was your takeaway from the game? Because as, as we spoke about, it kind of felt like the first 20, 30 minutes, we were giving it a really good go. Obviously a big crowd again, which was great to see. Um, and we were really getting up in up in Toulouse's grill, and then that second half, because of the injuries, because of the red card, it really felt like that game just started to taper away, and it was a matter of of kind of when, not if, for uh, for, for Toulouse to pull out enough points to to win the game. Yeah, there was a real the first half. There was a really sort of bats to the wall underdog feeling that I think as Sale fans we maybe had missed because we're you know a bit successful now and we've got a decent squad and we've got a good coaching set up. We miss just going nuts when we can beat a team that we're not expected to beat. Um, so everyone settled back into that very comfortably, I thought. <laughs> um, you know, cheering everything, getting into the opposition. Um, no, but seriously, it was a really, really exciting feeling at the ground to be watching, like you say, that Gus Ward chase on DuPont and they knock it into touch. The the Sam Dugdale tap tackle that you mentioned was just outstanding levels of effort to get back. And, and it felt like everyone was playing for each other. Everyone was sort of really up for it and really wanting to take it to Toulouse and, and fight this backs to the wall mentality. It's, it's a bit of a, I mean, I think we've got Steve Diamond to thank for a lot of that because fundamentally a lot of this is still his squad and, and it really came from, from within the whole squad, that ability to just keep going and keep finding a way to hold on and not let them over the line. And I think you look at the time, I, I can't remember the time Toulouse scored the first try, but it was really late in the game. And, and the game had kind of gone by then. You know, we were, I think, 10 points adrift at the time, or certainly at least uh, eight points. Yeah, I think, uh, I think as they were, they were, we were 15-5 down because before then they'd only kick penalties. Yeah. And... and Maybe I'd be saying well, it would have been nice to keep them out, you know. And then obviously they went and scored quite a few tries, and and you know, as as we tired, which is understandable. But that first half was, it felt like a proper European game, like a really, you know, I don't think we've had too many of those in the competition this season. But it felt like a really intense, really high level game of rugby with a really underlying, interesting storyline being sailed down to fourteen men and the two. Were, uh, substitute props from from early on. The second half, I think, started okay, but as Toulouse just started to move away with those penalties, everyone sort of felt okay. We Sale didn't really have much of the ball, couldn't keep hold of it. Toulouse dominated the breakdown, I thought, um, very well. And 
the atmosphere started to go from a bit of "come on, we can do this" to "yeah, okay, Toulouse are really good and and yeah, they are going to win." And um, I'd be interested to if if you guys watched it um, on telly without the kind of emotion in the ground to see what the the verdict on the refereeing was because I think first half was was fine and, and not really anything too major. There were a couple of thought Toulouse were off there onto their hands at the breakdown virtually every time. But he did start to ping that towards the end of the first half. And second half, it felt like the whole crowd turned against the referee because Toulouse were offside every uh, every time we were attacking and just straight on us. Um, so I think, I don't know, that that was definitely, the, the, the game went from, come on, say, we're going to do this, we're underdogs, we're, you know, we're going to take it to Toulouse to, okay, the game's lost and the ref's against us and, you know, you can all go home now. Um, so it was, I think, in answer to your original question, in terms of what we could take away from the game, I think not very much, as James says. There's not a lot to learn other than there's a great team spirit. There's a great sort of ability in this team to, when the backs are against the wall, fight and and keep in games. But Listen, from the minute Cobus Visa got sent off, we were definitely going to lose this game. From the minute Simon McIntyre and Nick Shonnet clashed heads, we were probably going to lose this game. So I don't think there's too much sort of, as as James says, analysis to be done. Um, I think it's let's take the team spirit and the positives and just rock on into into the rest of the competition and, and, and the premiership. And listen, we have, still have a chance of making the knockouts and... If we face Toulouse again in a you know knockout game for whatever reason, then I think we know we can rattle them. And if we've got a full strength team, we can really rattle them. So it's um, you know there's I think there's way more positives and negatives out of this for me. And uh, I think we're just proud of the effort, proud of the performance. Um, and yeah, as as James says, let's get to Ulster, and um, that is going to be a tough test. It's not going to be easy because they nearly turned over La Rochelle at the weekend so um, let's see yeah we'll, we'll touch upon that also again momentarily but the, the one final thing to mention from Saturday before we move on um, obviously the Cobra's visa red card let's just take uh, a minute very quickly to go around the table um, James your your thoughts on it red card yellow card should have been given where do, where do you fall on it I, I think it <clears throat> well it was a red card <clears throat> but there is some big issues here around the jackler. Um, and by the way, this isn't just all about opposition teams because we do it as well. Well, I don't think jacklers are supporting their weight at the moment and they are going over and their elbows are almost on the floor. So they're lowering their height so much. Well, if we don't want sideways movement for Jack Willis types injuries, I don't really see how you clear them out, honestly, because you're either shoulder in the back or, or, or your or your shoulder to the head, depending on how low you get. I mean, Visa got really low. <laughs> he got so low he hit the head of somebody whose head was almost on the ground. Um, so he couldn't have lowered his height anymore. Um, you know, but I think in one of those scenarios, players need to be brighter to go, well, you know what, giving away a holding on penalty is a better outcome than getting sent off. And it's absolutely right that any any contact with the head right now, you just got to red card it because we've talked about this before. The, the game is in existential crisis. We we have to find a way of changing behaviour on the pitch. And so that's the first thing. Definitely a red card. But then there's definitely this jackler problem that the, the World Rugby need to look at with the laws. How do you move that player? I think it's really, really difficult. I don't think he was supporting his weight. So I think it was should have been a penalty to sail. But it should have been then been reversed with a red card for a dangerous incident. That's that's the way I saw it anyway. Always looks worse in slow mo on um, uh, on on sort of you know on TV. I wonder what the reaction was in the ground. Um, I don't. I, I could feel that the there's not a lot of respect for this referee just generally out there. I thought some of his decisions were. It's always like weak decisions, you know. Like, uh, but but I think on this one that that he had. You have to send him off. We've had this before. I didn't see on Twitter either too much anger from our followers going, oh, my God, it shouldn't have been a red. Often we get tons and tons of messages going, oh, my God, rah, 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 rah. Uh, and it's more about what a shame it was because it ruined what was going to be a really good game. What did you think, Lewis? 
I mean, I, I think it's that final point, which is it, it was very disappointing. And disappointing from a player who, who's been playing pretty well. We, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how he's become a bit become a bit of a, an unsung hero in the team, you know, just perform, you know, just performing really consistently and sort of doing the dirty work. It's such a stupid penalty to give away because in I you know, I actually went back and watched it in, in slow motion and you are right, like uh I, I can't remember who the Toulouse player is, but they're not properly supporting their body weight. But the angle Visa comes in at he's not even going like Super fast, you know. It's not one of those situations you see where someone's just hitting a rock too quickly and they're, they're out of control, and 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 that's where the 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 issue is. It's you know, Visa's got time to to slow himself down, um, and and he does that to an extent, but he doesn't even attempt to do you know the crocodile roll or anything like that, which is what this, you should be doing in that situation, uh, because then it forces the the defensive player to take his hands off the ball. So just a really disappointing one. There was no need to sort of, you know, elbow drop <laughs> almost onto uh, onto the player like he was practicing for the WWE. It was just a it was a lazy penalty. It was a, it was a stupid penalty, and it's just disappointing because you can't have those mistakes if you want to be a top team. You know, you, you can't be giving away penalties like that. Um, and again, so much of this, rightly or wrongly, does come down to. Um, player education and changing habits and you know this isn't an instance where oh they've, they've tried to dip but they've ended up hitting them in the head uh, by accident or anything like that this is just a bit of a lazy one I think that's the disappointing thing is like it was very much avoidable um, and, and and you know obviously kind of kind of ruined the game I don't think it cost us the game I wouldn't be surprised if we would have still lost this game 27-5 even if Visa had been on the pitch the entire time but it's just little mistakes like that which um I know will be disappointing for the club as a whole because it, it's a mindset thing it's a it's a temperament thing and and obviously that's a massive part of what Axe and the coaching staff kind of preach so yeah just 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 disappointing you know from my perspective what was the reaction like in the ground Alex yeah, I think as as James said, similar to Twitter, in that everyone sort of knew it was it was a red card coming, and I think well, yeah, obviously there's um, there are a lot of fans who are probably in for either the first time or not not in very often, and, and maybe not as okay with the new rules and and the expectation, but certainly around me where there's a lot of regulars, everyone sort of you know sees this week in week out when they watch and. and yeah, it's a red card. There's obviously the natural, you know, if, you, if you're a kid, you go, oh, no, red card for my team, that's rubbish, which is it's good and it's fine. Um, but it's it was, it looked like it would either be a red or a yellow. And I think we all sort of felt mm, it wouldn't be unfair to give a red here. Um, that was obviously on the screen. I think having watched it back a couple of times, it's a red, there's contact with the head um, and and that's kind of that's the way that the game is, and you can't argue with it. I agree with you. I think Visa sort of made his own bed by tucking the arm a bit. Um, it, it looked to me like there was no real attempt to have the arm out wrapped, which which is a bit of a feature of some of our players, and I think they walk the line um, with that kind of a lot. So that's the only bit of criticism for me. But I agree with you. I think. Toulouse all day were on their hands and, and off their feet at the rook and just weren't pinged. And, and when you talk about the referee being weak, that being strong on that from the get-go would have made it a very different game. But effectively, what happened then is that Toulouse knew they could go on their hands and off their feet and kept winning breakdown turnovers. And if Sale wanted to keep the ball, they had to commit a lot of men to the breakdown. And therefore, especially with 14 men later on in the game, we couldn't attack. You know, We couldn't put stuff together to create attacking moves because... Um, because we couldn't rely on keeping the ball at the breakdown. So, yeah, I think that's the only bit that I would criticise, really, is Visa tucking his arm and the referee not refereeing the breakdown properly, given that this is... And, and to be fair, World Rugby have said in this year, one of the focus areas for referees is hands on the floor at the breakdown. We, I think we saw it from... I saw it from Luke Pierce refereeing the game last week, I think. I can't remember who it was. Um but, you know, really being on it with, with pinging that. And that's on the referee, I think. And I think in the review, you've got to look at that. Because, you know, I was spotting it from the stands. Um, and 
therefore it should be being picked up on the field. And it, it was it was blatant. It wasn't like me being a biased sale fan. I, th- I I thought anyway, I'd have to watch the game back and see whether I was genuinely being a biased sale fan. Um, but that's the as as I say, that's the way of the game. So no real complaints. And yeah, just let's get our arms out when we're clearing those players out. But I do agree with with what you guys have said about how on earth you meant to clear out that that jackler. And the answer isn't. And the problem is the answer is not a crocodile roll because we've got Jack Willis on the pitch and he knows that more than anyone that a crocodile roll can massively, massively impact the career of a young rugby player. So that's not the answer. Clearly. You can't move that player with if Cobus Visa can't move that player with that amount of force, then no one's moving him. Tell you that for now. Um, so it's got to be Jackler's sporting the body weight. So that's the it's the easiest easiest way to do it. And will rugby have got to get hot on it? And referees have got to get really hot on it because obviously it will change the game, but I think it will change the game for the better. And at the moment. A team like to lose are massively benefiting from exploiting that rule, which they did on the weekend. And yes, they would have won anyway, but it made it a foregone conclusion. The fact that they could just dominate the breakdown by going off their feet. Um, so that's my only area of improvement. But as as we say, yeah, you know, Cobra's Beast will be banned for a couple of games, and and it's the nature of the of rugby now that head contact is is red card. So can't argue with it. I, th- I think it would change that, the, you know, everyone was going, well, maybe the Curries would struggle in that environment. I don't think they would at all. Because actually, you just slim down a bit. If you're first to the breakdown, still happy days, good technique. You know, you, you keep, make sure you've got time to set yourself, get your base, get over the ball. But this kind of, you know, 20-tone prop flopping over the top, I mean, you're not going to, but as you say, Copa's visa can't budge them. There's no, there's no one. Uh, even Andrew Sheridan can't deadlift, deadlift that. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. So I think it would change the game for the better. To be honest, I think you know we need to be looking at slimming down our players. I think that's one of the things around head injuries that is just the force of a lot of these things and the behaviour on the pitch. They're the two things, right? So the behaviour on the pitch changes by just sending people off. You can't be having yellow, like you know, green cards or whatever it is for this kind of thing, or twenty minutes for red cards. You, you have to, we have to change the behaviour of the thing. And then the second thing is, we have to slim our players down, which might mean, you know, no one's talked about extending games past eighty minutes. I think that that's uh, something we should be thinking about. Um, shortening benches, things like this jackal rule. We need to be getting people who are more mobile. Uh, you know, people like the Curries have got the skills to be an old-fashioned seven. They don't all have to be putting on loads of weight and boshing through. Well, well just on that point then, I I guess that we might start to see that off the back of those initiatives that are being pushed forward by World Rugby now, things like the play clock. Uh, so, so you know, capping the amount of time spent for resetting scrums, penalties, etc. I think that's the really interesting thing, which is, I'm not actually sure whether or not I've seen them put into effect yet. Like I was watching some of the Champions Cup games and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've not seen a, a 30 second clock for a scrum yet or whatever. But I guess the idea is if if World Rugby or when World Rugby sticks through with these initiatives, eventually we are going to get more ball in playtime. The ball in playtime is going to go from 29 minutes to, to 42 or whatever. And you'll hopefully naturally see that slimming down of players and mobility because it's a really good point that we've just highlighted through 10 minutes of discussion, which is teams like Toulouse do benefit uh, from having monster packs and just massive 22 stone players who can just sort of lurch over the ball because you can't crocodile roll them anymore to, to get them off. Um, you know, you obviously can't hit them in the head. Um, so realistically, the only way of clearing a player out at the moment is either pushing them over. Well, that's going to be difficult to do if they're just these massive behemoths, um, or, or like just lying flat on the player as well, which again is quite difficult to do if you've got you know, uh, you know, a twenty stone player like basically lay across the ball. So you know, it, it's it's a really interesting problem, and it's no wonder why teams like La Rochelle and Toulouse. Let's, let's face it, you know, the, the big French teams are able to, to to do so well at the moment because they can hire, they, they can pay the players who make the biggest difference in the forward packs and, and that's your Will Skelton type players and your, your Rory Arnold or, or whoever. So um, really interesting discussion, but we'll have to park it here because we do need to talk about the, uh, the upcoming game for sale, which is Saturday night, very exciting, 
um, against uh, Ulster in Belfast. Now, obviously, Kobe's visa won't be playing for sale, but it is a almost a, a kind of winner-takes-all match. So just to kind of set the scene before we chat about the game, Sale currently sit ninth in the, in the Champions Cup Pool B on five points. Ulster sit uh, 10th in the in the pool of 12 on, on three points. And we're recording this on, on Sunday morning, so there's a couple of games still to be played. But as it stands, while Sale's um, uh, destiny isn't necessarily in their own hands, a win against Ulster and some results going their way should be enough to get uh, to get them back into the top eight of their pool and therefore qualify for, for the round of 16 um, and uh, a knockout rugby in Europe. So given where Sale are, given where Ulster are, if, if Sale and Ulster are to win and, and maybe Clermont and Montpellier to lose, uh, that would allow the winner of Sale and Ulster to get into the, the top eight. So it's a little bit convoluted at the moment, but realistically, Sale can give themselves a really good chance of progressing uh, to the knockout rounds if they beat Ulster and even just one result from the other games in that final round go their way. So, James, you know, the benefit of having you here is uh, you know, you've know you done the scouting uh, on, uh, on on the next opposition. So, just just briefly, you know what what are the key things that we need to know about Ulster going into this game, uh, and and potentially giving ourselves a chance to play knockout rugby for uh, a third consecutive European campaign. I think the, the the big picture is that I think the Ulster coach is actually now under pressure for his job. Um, you know they've they've lot they've won one of their last seven games, all competitions. You know, you imagine Sale going on that run. Uh, oh, you win one of seven. Wow! Since the beginning of December, that is since the third of December. Now that's including a loss against Treviso, which is not what it used to be, of course. Um, but you know they they beat Connacht by a couple of points. Look, they've not been far off in some of those games, but they've had a couple of poundings, pounded by Leinster, pounded by us. You know, Ulster aren't a team that used to get pounded home or away, whether it's in Europe or anywhere. So. You know, they've got some really good young players coming through the system, people like Stuart Moore, etc. Um, but for whatever reason, confidence is at the lowest point. Now, you would say that they're due a performance. <laughs> due a performance and at Ravenhill, you know, with the Ulsterman a few beers down, it's a really difficult place to go and play rugby. But it's not the fortress that it was at least this year. And uh, I think with Sale... You know, we we've been we've at least got that win under our belt. Also, we're going to be looking to get to sort of repay the favour, I suppose. In that, I think they'll be embarrassed about their performance, which they uh, which they had in Salford. Um, but even so, I would say that I think it's going to be difficult for them to pick themselves up off the canvas and believe that they can qualify with a win. I I, don't, I think it's they a couple of points lower further down than us. Um, I think they really do need a lot of results to go their way and they need to get five points from this match I would say against us so I think they're going to be looking to play some enterprising rugby I think they'll come out physical if you look at the game the team that they picked to go to La Rochelle and they only you know 7-3 at La Rochelle poor weather conditions but that's, that is a hell of an effort against the monster pack they had Ian Henderson at six you know they, they sent a big pack down there and that's why they got close so I think they'll look to probably do something similar against us. Stay in the game physically. I imagine we're going to be without both Shona and McIntyre. I think it'll be difficult to turn them around in the week when you look at that clash. Reports on Twitter that Shona was still looking pretty dazed, really, by the end of the by, by the end of the game. It wasn't that he sort of skipped out, you know, sort of ready to, ready to come back on? I think you know. I imagine we're going to be going down there with Harper and. I, you know, we 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 know Ustazen is is injured, but we don't know how close he is to coming back. Harper and Jones in Ulster, you know, at Ravenhill in Belfast, that's a bit of a bigger ask. We hope Dan Dupria will be back, but might not be back till the Bath game. So, you know, I think we're physically probably stretching our squad a little bit more now. Um, but Ulster on the back of a really really bad run. Our big picture is, you know, we've just beaten Harlequins. At Quinns, we're second, quite a good second in our league. We aren't beating ourselves up about this Toulouse performance at all. I don't think it would have done the psychological damage that the last Toulouse performance did when we went went to Falcons and lost. 
don't think we're going to have that kind of hangover. We also don't have a short turnaround that we had after that game to lose to Falcons five days. Actually, we're going, you know, from Saturday to to Saturday, which I think will suit us quite nicely. I I would like to think that considering that bigger picture, we are the favourites. And you say we, we pick up a win. And I think we'd probably be unfortunate not to qualify if we pick up a win from that. Um, so yeah, I don't, uh, Alex. I don't know what your your view is of of it, and you know whether we think we're in the right mental state to go there and win. It's always difficult to win away in Europe. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a really, really tough ask. I, I, I will say, I think the squad are in the right mental state. I think the belief is there. I don't, I don't think this to lose game has diminished that belief. Uh, almost helps that it was a foregone conclusion with the the injuries and the red card that there'll still be that little burning fire that says, well, we could have won that if those things hadn't gone against us. Um, so I think the squad belief is there. I think you're right that it looks stretched and a bit thin um, with the various injuries, but you know we'll see how, how that turns around. I know, I think one of Sean and McIntyre failed the HAA and then the other one, I'm not sure. So one of them would definitely be out. I can't remember which way around it was. Um, but... I do think that that prop position is a little bit of a worry, but everywhere else, I think we're still pretty strong. We've still got a very settled back line that have played well together. Bear in mind, Tommy Fahati was playing both wings this weekend for, you know, 65 minutes, which is bloody hard work. We had Joe Carpenter, had a, I thought, a good game at fullback, but was kind of exposed by that as well, you know, having to play wing and fullback. So when we're back into that rhythm, hopefully not down to 14 men. Um, I think I think there's a lot of belief in the squad to do it. I do agree with you that away in Europe is really hard, and and I think it's going to be a really tough ask. I think Ulster are a going to be looking for revenge. B a much better side than when we played them last. C have got way better preparation than when we played them last when they had to fly into Birmingham on the on the day of the game or whatever it was. Um, so there's a lot of different factors. This isn't just okay. Let's rock up and and we should be all right. They're obviously at home as well. So. It's a tough ask. Listen, if we go, if we win and go through to the knockout stage, it's great. I think it'd be a really exciting opportunity to to go and have a big game again, and, and I think we genuinely could progress relatively far in the competition. Um, if we if we lose and drop into, uh, I don't know whether we drop into Challenge Cup or whatever. I'm not going to be too worried. I think the Premiership is the real crown this season, and that's where we will want to focus our attention. Naturally, we can't. You know, if you're Alex Anderson, you can't say that, but we're a fan podcast, and I think we can kind of say it would be a bit ideal if we didn't have Europe and we could just throw our weight at the Premiership because that's pretty much how Leicester won it last year. Europe wasn't a priority. And we're um, still in the midst of the Premiership Cup as well. Um, yeah. I know that's a different squad, but it's, you know, the squad's getting stretched now, right? We're going to need the squad in the running. Also, with that buffer in the Premiership, it does enable us to rotate, hopefully, not, not right now, but you like Exeter and Saracens always did. You get to the last three games of the season. If you know you just need to manage that through bonus points, etc., you can rotate your squad and go fresh into the playoffs. So there would be upsides. I listened to the BT Sports pod about our 2006 win, and all the players were quite pissed off about that loss to Beerits because we should have won. It was our year to go and win there. But at the same time, we might not win the Premiership if we'd had to go one more game and got beaten up in the semi-final. So there's always upsides, as you said. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that, so it sort of feels a bit of a, almost a win-win, but obviously I think we'd like to go and win. Um, yeah, but it, it's it's a really hard place to go and do that. So I'm not, I'm not expecting to win. I, I think it's going to be a, a tough game and I think we're probably going to come out on the wrong side of it. And that, that's fine. If we win and it's a really good performance, then equally exciting. I'm just excited to see Gus War be an absolute little terror again. It's it's superb entertainment. It's it's making me reevaluate Danny Kerr as a player because I've always hated Danny Kerr when he plays against us. And actually, I, I now think I, I'll be a hypocrite if I hate him now because I'm loving Gus War doing it. So... Uh, yeah, I, there's there's a lot of there's a lot to like about the sale team, and and I think they're enjoyable to watch regardless of what's going to happen in the game. But um, it will be a very impressive win at Ulster. Make no mistake, they're a good side, and we're away from home in Europe, so a, a win would be massive. And I think it'd do a lot for the 
confidence and belief of the squad. Um, but yeah, as you say, there's upsides to every kind of outcome here. So uh, it's a good place to be in as a sale fan, isn't it? I think. So with that all said, uh, let's do do some quick predictions then. So uh, James, what do you think uh, the result will be? Saturday night in Belfast with Alex in the stands. What are you? Uh, what are you well, predicting? I think Alex is going to make that difference. No, look, I think if this had been the first game and we'd gone to them first, I would be predicting an Ulster win. I mean, uh, you, you, even the best teams in Europe don't go. I mean, Ulster normally absolutely set on for semi-finals and quarter-finals in this competition. They don't lose at home, but it's a different kettle of fish now. And where we are in the competition, we'll feel like maybe a, a bit aggrieved. You know that we haven't reached our full potential. I, I, I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win by five points. I think it's going to be like 2025, something like that. Okay. Uh, Alex, what about yourself? Um, I both just realised it's Mike Forshaw's last game, so that adds a little bit of a different dimension to it. I think we are going to... Well, if I'm going to make the difference, then, yeah, we're going to win. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll, I'll go 2017 to sale. I, I, I think the lads are going to want to do it for Forsh and I think it'll be a heroic defensive performance and we'll just nick it. Um, so, yeah, I'm all of a sudden confident again. Cheers, James. Yeah, we're going to make it a clean sweep. I, I think this the sale team has enough quality and I think this also team, like you said, maybe given the run of form that they're on and, and the unlikely hood that they'll actually progress from, from uh, this pool means that they may be part of a slightly weaker team, and I think that'll, that'll obviously work in our advantage. So I'm going uh, sales 17, Ulster 13. I'm not expecting a particularly high-scoring game, but I think we should have enough to, to pull out a win. So that's the podcast for this week. Thank you to everyone uh, for listening. Um, thank you to everyone for not sending us the Cobus Visa incident and saying it shouldn't have been a red card. I think that speaks to how educated and intelligent the cell fan base is. Um, and thank you, obviously, to Alex and, and James for joining me again. So that's everything for this week. Anything else from you boys before we say goodbye? Just want to shout out to CLFC. One again, scrappy win. Um, but, you know, still top of the table. It's going to go right down to the wire this 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 year. And a huge shout out again for Coldy, who just had two absolutely remarkable weeks. Uh, stunning. You know, they are probably now safe in the championship, which is remarkable when your players are earning £100 a game uh, in, that, in that league. It's absolutely phenomenal. So, well done to all the Coldy lads. We had a couple of sales boys running out for them again this week. We've had the likes of Nye Thomas and stuff there earlier in the season, but um, Elliot Gurley and Ruben Birch have put in a shift both weeks for them and I think made a difference by the sounds of things. So, well done. And pulling out crowds of over a 1,000 isn't messing around as well when you don't have a seat to sit in. So I think they're doing the Northwest very, very proud at the moment. So well done, Coldy. Yeah, and echo that. So and Sale FC two big home games coming up next two weeks. Um so always worth going down if uh, if you can make it, especially next week. Sale are obviously away. Um and shout out to Sale Shots women who are still putting in really good performances. I was down at the Exeter game last weekend um and uh, lost both games but playing really well and, and still you know railing against the rfu's stupid decision so just wanted to mention them because i think uh, it's easy to for that to get forgotten um now that the decision's been made but i think we'll still keep bringing it up on the podcast and in, in discussions and um far as we understand this club is still talking to the rfu about um whether we can get in the league next season. So, obviously, hopefully that situation and that massive mistake is corrected soon. But uh, in the meantime, the girls still putting in really good performances against really top-quality teams full of internationals. So, uh, long may that continue. And I think they are at home to Wasps on Saturday as well. Um, on Sunday, maybe. Um, this weekend, anyway. So, definitely worth getting down there, especially for season ticket holder, because it's free entry. Um, and supporting them because that's a, another really good opportunity for a win and I think with the way they're playing hopefully should be a um, should be a good game to watch so yeah all very positive Northwest Rugby at the moment as long as we can get the girls back in the Premier 15s then we're uh, we're fine Hi it's Dean Steiger here Treasurer of Sail Shark Supporters Club just like to encourage as many of you as possible to join the Supporters Club 
It's only £12 a year, and for the £12, you will get free admission to our social events like Meet the New Players and Meet the Academy, which are great fun, very informative, uh, very relaxed. It will also give you cheap travel to away games on the, the fun bus um, that we run uh, to certain games throughout the year. And much more importantly than that, you'll be helping the Academy because all money we raise goes back to support the young players coming through the Academy. So you're helping the future of Sail Sharks. Our website is salesupporters.co.uk and look forward to hopefully seeing many of you at future events.